Hey everyone, I'm Claire Liu and I'm the CEO of Know Your Company and today I have a really special guest. I have Rob Walling who is the co-founder of Drip, an email marketing automation software that actually I don't know if you know this Rob, we actually use at Know Your Company. We you love know it. I didn't. Awesome. That's great to hear. <laughs> yeah. And it's actually, it's only one of many things or ways that Rob and I are connected. Uh, Rob is, you know, a serial entrepreneur. He started multiple companies in the past. He speaks at a ton of conferences. He runs a conference called MicroConf, which I actually happen to speak at. And so just been a big admirer of your work over the years, Rob, everything you've built. And I know recently you and your wife, Sherry, actually just published a book which That's I highly right. recommend for people to check out just by the title. Uh, I believe it's The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together. So That's think, exactly right. I think we could all probably read a page or two out of that just based off the title. But yeah, an honor to have you here today, Rob. Thanks for, for joining us. It is my pleasure. Thank you. Cool. Well, so Rob, I've been asking all sorts of folks uh, this past year this one question about leadership. And what it is, is what's something you wish you would have learned earlier as a leader? Yeah, it's it's a great question. Um, I'll have to go back and listen to all the prior answers. I did not on purpose so that, that I wouldn't, you know, accidentally say someone else's. I wished that I had learned that I didn't need all the answers. I don't need all the answers as a leader. And that hiring people that are better than I am at something and then when a problem comes up, looking around the room and saying, I don't know, what do you think? You know, and it's not its not always that, it's not always putting it back on everybody else, but um, for me leading, you know, 15 years ago when I first started in my 20s, I was all nervous, like, well, I have to be like the boss and I have to know the answers. And when people come to me, I have to be able to say, well, this is what we should do. And over time I realized, no, I, I work with really smart people, you know, especially mm -hmm. if I'm hiring well. And my most recent um, experience with that, you know, is at Drip and it's this, it's the best team I've ever assembled. It's the best team I've ever worked with. And now when problems come up, it is always a look around the room and saying, someone here knows this answer. It may be me, but it's most likely going to be one of you. And that's, I wished I had known that a lot, a lot sooner. Wow. Yeah, I, um, <laughs> I can totally relate. Oh, my goodness. I think uh, there's something almost inherent in how our culture even thinks about leadership, right? That leaders know the answers. Like that's, that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. And so I love I love that realization. I also thought, think something really interesting that you you know just talked about is how you feel like Drip, the current you know the current company um, that you know you founded, um, is your best team assembled to date, right? Mm -hmm. So tell me about was it something different you then did in the hiring process or in thinking through as you're coaching people or would you like how why is it different and it, in what way is this idea that you don't have to be the one knowing all the answers? What role did that play? And so that, you know, I, I mean, that's a bold statement. The best, the pe mm -hmm. best team to date I've ever assembled. So I want to hear more about that. Yeah. Yeah, sure. The, I mean, there's a couple reasons that I was able to, or, or that I say that, um, or that I was able to build that team. I say it because it's true and I, mm -hmm. I enjoy my work so much yeah. more, you know, working with these folks and they're the, you know, whatever scale, if you were to say one to 10 as developers, one to 10 as coworkers, one to 10 as whatever, just across mm -hmm. the board, these, you know, the, the folks I work with now are, um, are better. And I've worked with great people. I've been, you know, coding for essentially for 20 years, for almost uh, coding and founding software companies for almost 20 years. The reason I was able to do it differently this time was a couple things. One, 
I had full control. Like I built it from square one. I was employee number mm, one, got Derek, it. my co-founder, number two. And so everyone, there was no one kind of foisted on me. The other thing is we had, since Drip did grow very quickly, I had budget to hire at a level that I used to not be able to. I used to hire a lot of contractors Perfect. and just cheap, I needed cheap talent because I only, you know, if, if one of my apps was making 20 grand a month, it's like you can only hire someone so good and still pay the bills, you know. Sure. Um, but Drip had the growth and the revenue to cover it. And the third thing is I had the luxury, um, well, four, there's four things. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. The keep third going, was my, uh, my, my network is the biggest it's ever been. You know, as mm. you said, I, I have a conference now and I have all these, this history and the blog and the podcast and just all this stuff that I've done that it enabled me to kind of have a reputation to draw people. But the the fourth reason that I think is perhaps of, of all those, mm-hmm. um, one of the most important is we were, we hired slowly and we were very picky. Um, we turned mm-hmm. down dozens of candidates for every person that we have wound up bringing on. And so it has meant at times that we don't, you know, hire as fast as I would have liked. Um, and as a result, sometimes the roadmap isn't moving as fast as I would have liked. Um, sure. But it has, it's, it was a long-term view. You know, I've been working on Drip for five years now. Mm-hmm. It is a long-term view of, in the end, five years from now, this team will be phenomenal if we just slow it down a little bit versus mm-hmm. making that snap decision. Well, no, just get the, just say yes to this person. And then you're a year down the line. You're like, oh my God, I've built a toxic culture or I right. now have to lay, fire two people because they're, they're not working out. Absolutely. I think that's um, tremendous advice, almost so much more difficult to practice than it is to, or, uh, you know, than it is talking about. Because I think the temptation, especially for folks who are funded or who have the luxury of being able to spend, you know, cash up front um, pretty easily to, to hire folks, it's, yeah, you can't move as fast if you don't have the right people. So that temptation is definitely there. What sort of uh, checks or questions or processes did you put in place or how did you think about consciously? I mean, it sounds like a very conscious decision of I'm going to slow down this hiring process and we're going to wait it out. Like, how do you, how do you make that call? How do you decide when that is like, especially, you know, as you know, you start off as a self-funded, you know, company, right. You don't Mm -hmm. have that, that luxury. You, you have competitors who are funded. I mean, Mm -hmm. how do you grapple with that as a founder, as a leader? Yeah, I think, you know, I didn't make the deliberate decision to slow it down as much as I made the deliberate decision to hire very carefully, which by Mm. its own, by its nature, the result is that it does slow down. So I wish we could hire faster. Um, But the checks, as, as you were saying, is, you know, we just have, we have a few layers of interviews. Um, and that first interview is all about, it's all about personality and it's all about probing into things and, and catching what are the yellow flags and what are the red flags. And if we talk to someone with no yellow flags, I'm suspicious. Like we, mm. we didn't get their true self. Cause that, cause you know, sure. if I was in an interview, you would pick up on things and it's like, yeah, Rob, Rob's really good at this. And Rob's going to kind of be a pain in the ass about that. Right. Yeah. Or Rob's not going to be great at this. I mean, you're, you're just going to know, like, no, you know, no one is, is infallible. And so if I don't pick up on at least a couple, a yellow flag or two, um, we actually dig further and then you just, you start seeing patterns. I mean, I've done hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of interviews over the course of the 20 years, um, mm-hmm. you know, of, of hiring developers and product people. And so I think it's, um, at a certain point, it's it's trusting gut, but it's also getting. I mean, we have four or five different people who who talk to the, you know, the the candidate over the course right. of of a couple of weeks, um, and we do a pair we do pair programming now, which has been a real game changer for us. A one hour pair programming interview to look at the, not just the technical. It's not oh, can they do they know the right words? It's like how are they to sit next to for one hour and code with? How does mm-hmm. that feel? You know, mm-hmm. it's. Mm-hmm. 
so we, we've I think we've really upped our game there. And it's you know as usual, it's if in doubt, it's probably a no. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's so wise. I want to go back, Rob, to some you know to the original sort of statement you you know made as the answer to this question about you know being letting go of, of having to be the person with the answers. Talk to me about the time prior to that revelation, right? When you felt like you needed to know the answers. I mean, what was the cost of that? Was there, you know, were there some, was there some event or something that happened or a conversation that you had where it caused you to, to realize, oh gosh, like the whole point of having a team, I guess, is for me to not know everything or I'm very curious about that. You know, mm-hmm. the t- the what what caused that mindset shift? Right, what caused yeah. it or if there were any, um, you know, if you got burned because of it at any moment? It was, the, the cost of it was that it was a mental cost, right? It was, mm. was um, having the burden of constantly having to go from a manager's point of view or a CEO point of view where you're kind of at 10,000 feet and then someone comes with something and it's like, all right, I need to dig in and actually look at this code and make a decision, right? And it's like, huh, this is taxing on mentally because you only have so much good glucose in a day, right? That you can ship interesting things or make decision fatigue sets in. And so that was probably the biggest cost for me is I I just could only make so many decisions and I was making too many I should not have. Mm. And the, the tipping point was two things. One, it was eventually realizing it was that was just stupid. And then two, it was starting to work with better people. Um, mm. And Derek was, was Derek the first? Well, there was a support guy before that who took everything, and then Andy, who took everything off my plate. And I started realizing, wait a minute, this is very interesting. Like he made, uh, and at a certain yeah. point, he, he's really good, fully remote, never met him in person. We've worked together for eight years or whatever. He um, started saying, hey, I think I'm just going to make some decisions about some stuff like that I'm checking in with you. And I was like, fine, do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would look back and be like, he made 20 decisions last month that normally I would have, you know, prior I would have asked him to run by me. And one of them was was wrong, you know, wrong in my book or it didn't live up to what I would have done. The cost of that one decision compared to the 19 I didn't have to make was just so over, you know, it was such a, a an offset that I was like, this is a no brainer. I need to find more people like him and then I need to do this again, you know? Mm-hmm. And then finding my, my co-founder, Derek, co-founder Drip, um, pretty quickly, I, we talked through what the original incarnation of Drip would be on my kitchen table. And then I said, all right, you let me know when you have something to show me. And it was like six or eight weeks later, he comes back, which is, I never did with developers, right? He was a contractor right. at the time sure. and eventually became my co-founder. I, I would never do that because it was always like, yeah, send me weekly updates with the this and the screenshot and then I can sure. tweak the this and the copy, and, you know, and he came back after six or eight weeks and I was like, damn, that's really good. Let's tweak these yeah. two things. And it was like, huh, working with someone of his caliber um, really makes this a lot easier. And during that time, I was able to focus on marketing and all this other stuff. And so th- those were kind of the events that, that led me to that. Absolutely. I think something that, um, you know, what, or what you're talking about, one thought that it evokes is, you know, I talk with. Uh, so many um, emerging managers, right? So new managers, first-time managers who find and struggle with that decision point of how much do I trust? How much do I let go? I don't know if it's the caliber, you know, I'm going to see the caliber of the work that's there. I mean, what advice would you have for folks in that situation who feel like, um, you know, they, they're they not sure if they're ready to, to give that space? I mean, what would you mm-hmm. say to that? Yeah, I think... Um, I think that, you know, trust, but verify is kind of what I start with, with people, um, 
to basically trust them to make the right call and then see if they did. And Mm -hmm. over time, you will learn to trust them more. And if they're doing well, and if they're not, then they're probably not right for the role. I think that's a big thing, right? It's the, you know, kind of fire fast type thing. And in our world of startups, when you're, when every person counts and you have a team of five or a team of seven, that everyone needs to be high achieving. And so um, I think, when a new person would start, it was a, it was a slow, kind of a slow trust building, but in both directions, to be honest, and, and coming back to, you know, your, your original question about leadership, mm-hmm. that's probably the one thing, you know, you didn't ask this, but mm-hmm. if I were to think like, what is, what is the one thing as a leader that is my job to do? And mm-hmm. it's instill trust in both mm-hmm. directions. That's what I strive for. And that yep. ultimately leads to loyalty. I used to say it's instill loyalty, but I realize mm-hmm. now trust comes first. Talk and to then, me about oh, the difference. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, well, no, no. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm so curious. Like I'm, I'm yep. with you. I want to hear, I want to hear more. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, trust is just a matter of like, I'm going to, from, from my perspective as a leader, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to give you stuff or I'm going to tell you what, um, you know, help you figure out what to do. And I'm going to trust that you're going to do the best you can and that you're going to come to me when you have questions and that you're going to deliver a good product. Trust in the other direction to, to me, you know, from the, from the person, my colleague, um, I believe is that I, that I have your back in every situation that when a customer you know, screams at you on the phone mm-hmm. that that customer, I either have a conversation or I fire the customer that I right. do not let my people get abused. Right. And I've done that many times, email and, and all that kind of stuff that I have your back when, um, you know, the database goes down on a weekday that I'm also, I don't just push the developer or the DBA to do it, that I'm actually sitting there as well trying to figure stuff out. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and it, that doesn't scale when you're at 50 people, but when you're at five, yes, you, you trust that I essentially have your back. Mm-hmm. And over time, so trust is something you can develop um, by showing up and by, you know, by doing what I was talking about. And then I think loyalty develops um, with trust over time and loyalty becomes less of, I know you're going to be there and more of, I want to have your back as well, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. It's it's yeah. a mutual, it's a mutual feeling of I'm willing to take a bullet, either of us are willing to take a figurative bullet, you know, in, in business to, um, to be able to uh, support you. And that may mean, boy, I am going to work this weekend, even though you didn't ask, or I'm going to work this weekend and not resent it because, you know, you did ask. And I, and I know that you don't do this often and I know that you need this or, um, whatever it is. I mean, we didn't work a lot of weekends, but those, those are examples, right? It's like, I'm willing to go the extra mile for you, both as the founder and, you know, as the, the person, the developer or the customer success person. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I love that you've emphasized that it's, you know, one of the main roles of a leader to instill trust, because I couldn't, you know, agree more in many ways, trust, it's, it's the oil of the machine, right? It's nothing functions without that sense of of trust. And you've got my back, you've got, you know, I've got yours. And that when you argue, we have our best intentions in mind. I'm not trying to, you know, screw you over. I'm not trying to take credit for something. And as I I think as a leader, again, our mental models around what leadership is, is about decisions. It's about vision. It's about charisma. Trust doesn't get brought up very often. So Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you you sharing that. Yep, for sure. Well, hey, Rob, thank you so much again for your time today. It's been a blast to get to talk to you. Absolutely. I enjoyed it.